Thanks for joining us today for a conversation with Randy Daniels. Randy is the Vice President for Program Development with Buckner International. He's going to share how Buckner transitioned their model of care for children in children's homes to a family care model. Hi, Randy. Tell us a little bit about Buckner. We're an old organization, 137 years old this year. We were started by a, uh, a pastor from Tennessee who came to Texas for health reasons. And uh, when he got here, he, his plan was to uh, start churches, but then God got hold of him and said, no, your job is to take care of uh, orphans uh, caused by our civil war. Based in Dallas, uh, but we have programs throughout the state of Texas and in six countries outside of the U.S. We are in Guatemala, Honduras, Dominican Republic, Mexico, Peru, Kenya, and of course here in the, in the States. Great. Tell me a little bit about how Buckner's transition to family care began. We really started it intently in about 94 in terms of the internal discussions and the rollout began a couple of years after that as far as implementing our family-based care program. And our CEO, Dr. Ken Hall, began to ask the question, if these were your children, and, and the, the target he was uh, asking the questions about were the kids that we were caring for on our, I believe it was seven children's homes back then, all located in Texas. If these were your children, would you want them living here, or would you want them in a family? Well, that, that was a pretty quick answer. The solution wasn't so quick coming, but in terms of what do I want for my children, I want the best family care I can get. What are some of the things that form the basis of how you are going to do this type of care, and how did you then transition that into the ministries that you have in the other parts of the world? We had to go through a lot of uh, stops and starts. A lot of what we, we did early on was to begin to develop the internal messaging the why. Why are we doing this? Not just based on research and what's best for kids, even though that is the most critical factor, but also as an organization. How can we impact our communities in, uh, in which we lived and we served and we ministered at a greater uh, level than we had been? We could continue caring for 60 or 70 or 80 children on a campus, or we could take our skills and resources and do family-based care and impact not only the, the, the children we're caring for, but impact the, how kids are cared for in the community in general. So a lot of it started it was the internal messaging, developing the support of our donor base. And be honest with you, we lost some donors over this. Uh, it was making sure our board of directors, they were on board, ensuring that our uh, leaderships in the various communities, both internally with our staff and also externally, with officials in, in the community who were on board. So all that had to go into first just making the case and then begin to implement a couple of years after that. And how it rolled out was really the development of uh, two different programs. One is uh, family foster care, a very intentional effort to work with our churches to involve them in developing, helping us develop foster care for kids in the uh, care of child protective services. And then the other model was to develop what we call a a family pathways. And that is a single parent program where we work with families who are on the verge of disruption at a point in their life that their children 
are going to have to live elsewhere, often because of poverty, domestic violence. So how do we keep those families together and strengthen them uh, for the future? So Sarah was really developing those two programs very intently, putting resources first domestically uh, before we rolled out uh, uh, this internationally. That's helpful. Um, So what did you learn from this process? Some of the experiences, some of the lessons learned, I I think is the way I, I would put it, we developed over time was go slow to go fast. You know, ensuring that we bring our not our staff, our internal constituents, our external constituents, our supporters along in really helping people understand, going back to that same very, very basic question, what would you have for your children? And and that really formed the basis to move forward to develop foster care internationally to do a domestic adoption in, in Kenya. You know, it was really bringing all those lessons learned early on ensuring that everyone came forward because we had to address issues of resource reallocation, both in terms of finances, staffing resources, volunteer resources, and reallocate those to the kinds of family-type programs that uh, we were developing at the time. When we first uh, worked with the government of Kenya to help them develop foster care, when I say help them, our director sat on a committee with with the um, government of Kenya, helping develop policy and procedures for foster care. But along the way, we began to have conversation with Kenyan officials about uh, not stopping at foster care. What about Kenyan families adopting Kenyan children, non-related? Of course, the, the first response was that will not work in Kenya. Well, we didn't stop thinking about it praying about it, and when we had opportunity talking about it, and some of the consult we got, we received was from other Africans who were talking about the same thing in their country or in general for Africa, that African families need to adopt African children related or not related. So, you know, there was this building momentum in Africa to begin to develop not only the program, but the culture of adoption within within their uh, their countries. And so about five years ago, we again had that same discussion, new officials, new personalities, but this time received the support of them saying, yes, this, this needs to be done. And so from that point, it took a lot of planning and preparation. But at, as of today, we have what is more closely more closely resembles uh, a foster-to-adopt program based in Nairobi, and they have placed a little over 100 children in the last 24 months in domestic adoption. Now, some are there at varying stages of their, their legal process, but those all those kids are in a permanent placement with family that are non-related. It, it took time. It took effort, perseverance. And all of our Kenyan programs are now family-based. Our original orphanage in Nairobi called BCC is now a transitional center for kids who are removed uh, from the homes or taken off the street by the police. They stay with us for 45 days. Then they go into placement, uh, foster care, kinship care, after our social workers have had an opportunity to uh, study a family. Kenya has done in what I'm going to say 
less than 15 years what it, it took Buckner stateside to do, you know, over a period of 137 years. So they were able to quickly learn from lessons we, we learned over the years and adapt and, and adopt uh, best practices at a much quicker pace than we could here. Uh, phenomenal things going on there. You know, one of the keys is, is in Kenya, in all the countries we work in, is we hire nationals to work only. Our directors, our line staff, field staff are all nationals. And that's so important. First, you know, we don't have that cultural learning curve to, to deal with. Uh, but as they're exposed to, uh, to best practices, they can bring that to that country internally as one of their own, not from the outside. Okay. Now, what are you doing in Guatemala? Guatemala is exciting. We uh, started there in, in terms of building relationships with the government, working in government orphanages. Go in and you know, try to help improve the life of uh, the children living in those particular orphanages, improving their conditions, providing more staff, etc. Uh, but we knew that that was not the end game for us. We used those relationships and those resources we spent to begin discussions about foster care, about how can we develop families for these kids, and, and especially for the youngest children, to deinstitutionalize them, get them into family care or through family tracing, get them into kinship care or their families of origin. Uh, so those early relationships built were critical to building the foundation and the trust to do, I think, uh, what is the more important work now. In the last two years, we have, I believe, placed somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 children into family-based care who were living in, in the orphanage system. The other big piece of that, through that relationship with the government, we, we form relationships with the uh, uh, Supreme Court of Guatemala, work with them to provide the judges who make the decisions on the placement of kids other options other than placing all the kids into orphanages. So now we're working with the Supreme Court and the courts that work with family issues, trying to provide family solutions for these kids, again, starting with the very youngest, but hopefully in the future expanding beyond that zero to five age group. We really work at two, at two levels. For trying to impact systems to affect systems change, then, yeah, we're going to work with the government because the government is going to be there uh, well beyond our time there. So we want to impact the government. We want them to partner a lot with us. And we've done that in Kenya and Peru and Guatemala especially. But there are, at the program level, at our ministry level, there are a number of programs we run, we operate, that we do not do in partnership with the government. Most of our family strengthening programs we call Family Hope Center are not in partnership with the government. We operate those in the community. Now, they're certainly aware of it and approve of it because we're registered, but we don't do it in partnership. We just do that on our own. And the purpose of that is to, within a community context, we want to work with those local families to help them stay together. Randy, you've been on the ground working directly with families before. I know you were a social worker by trade. Can you recall anything that you've heard from the families or from the children, their testimonies or their feelings about the work that you're doing? There's 
been a number of kids and families. You know, I can remember there's there's one particular uh, young lady who uh, was at one of our children's homes here in the States. And along the way, we helped her connect with a foster family. So we went through that process of her transitioning from the campus into a foster family. And she's older now. And, and she still talks about how important that was for her to have that family because she had no one else. When she left the home, uh, she had no one else. So if she had not developed that relationship with the foster family and they continue that well beyond her state place time, they've been her safety net. They've been her support. They've been her family. If not for that, she's not sure what would have happened. Uh, she would have floundered and been lost like so many other young people. But those stories are, are really dotted all over the world. Children who have, have like in our Kenya program, the, the adoption program, who probably had, more than likely had a future living in, a, in an orphanage, if not for the uh, foster to adopt program. And now there's more than 100 who now have forever families. It's life-changing. It's transformational. Can you also share with us how you were able to transition assets you already had, such as staff or the buildings, to end up using those to help support your new model of family care? We had to look at our, our buildings, our staff, their skill sets, and try to use that, not exit from that, not to, to close that chapter so much, but as to, as to bring it forward. Uh, BCC, as I've mentioned in Nairobi, became a transitional center for, uh, for children. Our social workers who worked at the, the old uh, orphanage became foster care social workers. Uh, in Guatemala, our staff that were working in the government orphanages helping try and make life better for the kids there transitioned out and started working in the fo- our foster care or a kinship care program or our family hope center, uh, family strengthening programs. One of the programs we had in Guatemala and downtown was a uh, just it was a group home for for girls that was transitioned into a uh, assessment center transitional home for kids who were picked up by again by the police or by their social service uh, workers and they would stay there for a short time while we look for other placement so it's really not starting over because our especially our staff had these tremendous skill sets tremendous passion were committed to the work but it's getting them into the right place doing the right thing Take a step back from that. It was sharing the story with them of the why are we doing this, and then 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 they partner with us to, to come along. Peru was a little of the same. We had social workers working for us that were working in government orphanages. Well, as we worked uh, in partnership with the government to develop foster care there, they transitioned out of the the orphanage and into the foster care program. Some of those same. Uh, staff uh, later became foster parents. They left us uh, after they, uh, the children were replaced with them. So it, it's really just using uh, the skills and the passions that God gave them and bringing that forward. And I think it worked and continues to work to this day for us. Can I share another story from Guatemala? Please. When we got involved in doing the Samias program, we targeted the uh, city of children. And in the city of children, they had them in age groups. But in the uh, baby room, one of the older ones that was in there at the time, I was told later, 
uh, that became part of a phenomenal story. The story goes that the, the mother who lived in one of the uh, rural areas in, in Guatemala was pregnant, was befriended by uh, another family from a nearby village, was, uh, and they actually brought her into their home to help her during the birth because she was... She had no money and, and wasn't sure how she was going to take care of herself and her baby as, as a single mom, especially during the birth and, and that time period right after. Well, they had taken her to a hospital lab to give birth, woke up after the birth, and there was no baby. And she was told at that point in time that the baby died. She, of course, began to, to grieve and and that, and that kind of thing, as, as any, any of us would, and uh, really wanted to see the baby and... And they wouldn't let her do it and said, no, you don't need to do that. And so they sent her back off to her own home, her own village. And, but she had this this feeling that there was something wrong, that you know, she still felt like there was this connection to, to that baby. Well, we got involved with the City of Children and began to do, as part of the process, family tracing of all the kids, starting with that zero to three age group, including this 18-month-old. And in, in the process of family tracing, we found her, the mother, through a series of hospital records and interviews with, with people from the village who knew her, knew this other family, uh, were around at the time. And they were able to trace her, the, the mother, go to her village and meet her face to face. After a period of time to ensure that this, in fact, was the mother, they did a DNA test to ensure that this was the mom. That child was placed with her. And we've got these wonderful photographs of when they placed her for the first time with mom after 18 months of thinking that her child was dead. And it's just a, amazing to to see the commitment by our social workers. And one of the social workers that, that worked in this process had uh, was one of them that had worked in an orphanage for us and had transitioned over to this program. The story that she would, would tell of, of walking miles, literally miles from where she had to leave her car to go find the mom because it was such a remote area. But it's an amazing story to to, to see this, this reunification of these two and uh, that this child now has not only her mom, she has a life that she didn't have before. And it all started uh, with that family tracing. It's just an amazing story. And to her, hear her tell it, I've, I've heard it I don't know how many times, and it brings me to tears every time I hear it. Wow. That's incredible, Randy. I guess those are the real-life stories that you all get to experience and learn from every day. All right. I always enjoy hearing the story of Buckner. You are all doing incredible work, and I love that it started here in the United States. It's also exciting to know that you've been doing transformation work in six different countries and how each one is, I'm guessing, very different than the others, but all with the same goal of children and families. If you want to learn more about Buckner and the, the various ministries we have around the world, you can go to www.buckner.org. Great. Thanks, Randy. For additional resources regarding family care, you can also visit the Faith to Action website at www.faithtoaction.org. Thanks for tuning in today.